Hello, friends. Welcome to Christendom Conversations, broadcasting on Radio Christendom. We come to you from our campus in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. I'm your host, Mark Rolina, Executive Vice President here at the college. As always, Christendom Conversations strives to bring you the time-tested insights you need to help you live your Catholic life to the fullest. In each episode, we visit with a Christendom College professor or occasional outside guest to explore the wisdom found in our liberal arts education and our Catholic faith. We're truly blessed to have Dr. Daniel McInerney with us today. Dr. McInerney is an associate professor in the Department of Philosophy at Christendom. His interests and expertise cross a number of fascinating areas of thought, which are so relevant today, and we hope to explore some of those in our time together. Dr. McInerney, welcome to the program. It's great to be here with you, Mark. Thank you for having me. Well, let's begin with a prayer, invoking Our Lady for our conversation, for an awakening of missionary zeal and love of truth, both here and around the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Our Lady, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Dr. McInerney, I have to say that I've been looking forward uh, to speaking with you for, for quite a little while in here, and glad you, you decided to join us. Um, I know there's lots going on this time of the semester, but I uh, really appreciate you making the time. Oh, I'm always happy to escape from my grading. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, I know the time's going to fly by as we talk, and we probably can only get to a fraction of what we could discuss. But I wonder if you would start out just a little bit of your background. Uh, tell, us, tell us some of your story. Did you always want to be an educator and, and that path that, that took you to where you are today here at Christendom? Uh, yep. Okay. So short answer, no. I always wanted to be uh, an artist first and foremost and still, uh, still am an artist today. But in my undergraduate years, I, took, uh, I started taking philosophy classes. I was an English major at Notre Dame. But it was in particular a philosophy class on the philosophy of art that got, got me thinking that I, I could still pursue my love of the arts, but also think more deeply about art and other questions at the same time, so that by being a philosopher, I didn't have to give up any of my interests. Wow. And so that's, uh, in a sense, where I still am today. I mean, if you think of a, a, an elective I teach here at Christendom, Ethics and Imagination, it's still that, that hybrid interest is still very much in play, an interest in the arts, but also thinking more deeply, more philosophically about them. So I eventually went on and got a PhD from the Catholic University of America, and I've taught at uh, various uh, universities since then, came to Christendom in the fall of... 2019. It is by far the best job I've I've ever had, and I'm I'm happy as a clam here. Well, thank God for that professor who, who taught that class uh, in your undergrad. Yes, yeah. Dr. Stephen Watson at Notre Dame. I wonder if he he may still be teaching. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's a great segue. Just uh, you know, people wonder sometimes about the liberal arts and uh, philosophy, theology in particular. Why is it important to study these things today? And there's so many more practical things we could do. Um, I wonder if you maybe just could give us a word about that. Why, why would we study philosophy? Yes. We study philosophy so that we do not live our lives enslaved to our own opinions. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and in fact, that's, that's what all the little liberal arts do for us. They, they free us from being enslaved to our own opinions so that we can 
um, think beyond our own assumptions, our own preconceptions, our own prejudices, our own uh, upbringing, our own culture, and pursue the truth that, in many instances at least, is on the far side of our opinions and assumptions. And uh, philosophy isn't just a luxury in that light, it's an absolute uh, necessity. Is philosophy accessible? I mean, you've, you've taught at a number of different levels, um, seen uh, young people of all kinds try to embrace this and, and probably uh, lifelong learners. Uh, we certainly have had some events here where you've, you've been able to speak to some older students. Um, is there a way to enter, enter into a conversation with philosophy no matter what age you happen to be? Or maybe if you felt your education has passed you by to some extent. No, your philosophical education has never passed you by, and I, don't, I, I think that's true of all disciplines. Um, first point I like to make with young people who come to our summer program is to um, underscore the fact that we are all naturally philosophical. We couldn't we couldn't not be philosophers even if we wanted to be. Right. And I always I have this half-joking scenario uh, that I give to my students that they could, they could detest philosophy. They could protest against it. They could make T-shirts and signs and placards, and they could, they could um, agitate for the removal of philosophy from the curriculum at Christendom. And in the very act of the protest, they'd be being... They, they would be being philosophical, oh, right? right? Because they would have some theory about why philosophy doesn't belong in our curriculum. So it just comes natural to us to, um, to seek to grasp that which is essential. We do it all the time. We don't need a college to do it. Mm -hmm. What a college does is help us do better that which we're already doing naturally. Sure. Well, you, you touched on that a little bit. We probably be a horrible thing to agitate for the removal of philosophy <laughs> from our curriculum, but that that sense of our understanding of anthropology can be good or bad. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that is particularly difficult is to cut through everything there is out there these days and, and get to folks. So, I'm very interested in in one of those areas we talked about that intersection um, of of beauty and philosophy of art and philosophy, and you have a term that you've used called practice-based philosophy of art. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I've ever heard that term before, so I wonder if you could explain why art and beauty is a good entry point into understanding uh, who we are, what we're meant to be, and what we're meant to do, and then why is that particularly effective these days? Yeah, wow. There's about three really great questions <laughs> there. Um, I think I'll begin with the second one. Why is art and beauty important for us? Um, Bishop Barron likes to use this phrase, I, I've heard him say it in any number of, of contexts, that there is such a thing as the way of beauty. That, uh, that beauty is a way for us human beings. Um, the question then is a way to what? Mm. Well, ultimately it's a way to God. Um, there is uh, there was a wonderful meditation uh, on the feast of today. We're recording on the feast of Saint Cecilia that I read today by Cardinal Newman, where he was talking about beautiful music as echoes of our home. Mm. 
hmm. right? So, it, so music is an Im- intimation of our of our immortality, of our of our real home in heaven. So that gives us something of a sense of how important the arts are. They're not our only pathway to God, but they are one that is especially attractive to us human beings because we learn through our senses, right. and the arts engage. Uh, often more than one of one of our senses uh, at any given time, and so we just love that, and we love the fact that the work of art elevates us above our senses at the mm-hmm. same time. That we grasp, if not God immediately, we grasp a truth that transcends the the purely sense uh, sensible. So art gives us this wonderful hybrid of that which appeals to our senses, but also appeals to our intellects and our emotions as well. It's this total package. Whereas if you're reading a philosophical text, it's appealing to your intellect alone, right? And that's, that's good, but it's kind of, it's sort of, it's a tougher, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tougher task to take on. Whereas if something is engaging our senses, it's just a lot more, um, natural for us to engage with as human beings, being the embodied spirits that we are. So that's a general look at the importance of the arts. Um, another part of your question was was practice-based arts. That's an idea that comes up in my course. I, I take from a great Catholic philosopher at Notre Dame, Alistair McIntyre, who some of our students just went to, to hear at a conference a couple weeks ago at Notre Dame. Um, the point is is simply this. We often, in the modern world, we think of art and creativity as a fairly solitary thing, that you have a certain genius, and your genius kind of shines a light, and you create this wonderful thing, and you're, you're the sort of demigod of, of creativity. Mm. Um, I've learned from McIntyre and others that that's not quite how creativity works and that's not how we really encounter beauty even if we're just appreciating a work of art we have to engage in in what is known as a practice which is simply uh, a social institution uh, made up of people who are committed to a certain skill or craft and there is an ongoing conversation about how best to pursue that craft. There's a tradition of how to pursue that craft. And so what one has to do, whether as an artist, and even to a degree as as someone who's appreciating art, is one has to kind of apprentice oneself to the practice, learn the fundamentals, um, master the fundamentals, maybe over a span of, of years, who knows, decades, and only when one has mastered the fundamentals is one in a position to extend the practice in some creative way. There is a spark of creativity, but it's, it's usually not going to be um, uh, a very brilliant one until one has really mastered uh, the, the, the craft in a practice. So it's a social, art is social and cultural and indeed religious. It's not the solitary artist in his garret having brilliant thoughts. <laughs> right. When I, I want to get to technology a little bit later, but mm-hmm. uh, certainly this this thought's sort of bound up in that we've got short attention spans these days. Um, as indeed. Professor McIntyre would, would point to, we, we have a, a less common 
foundation and and common language um, to mm-hmm. sort of build towards these things. So you, you're describing a dedicated patient kind of process. Is that even possible these days? Yeah. Um, yes, it, it is. The, the arts call us into a mode of attention and discipline that is countercultural if you take cultural to be our technologically driven, fast-paced, mm-hmm. kinetic society. It, it very much is against the grain. And so you see that certain arts that, that require an, uh, an especially uh, great amount of attention, something like poetry, right. um, is, is very much marginalized in our culture. Poetry is something that mainly academics do, right. and they write it typically for other academic poets <laughs> and but but the man in the street very it happens but it's very rare that the man in the street is just picking up a, a book of poems mm-hmm. that's at least written by anybody contemporary yeah. so um, yeah it, we we um, there is a great battle going on for for our attention and certain of the arts suffer and arts get um, Arts change because of the technological environment, or certain arts surge um, to the foreground because of that. So we now have film. Um, uh, film is much more prevalent than, say, uh, stage drama in our culture. Stage drama still exists. It's still somewhat popular, but nowhere near as popular as film. Right. Um, so you get into all those sorts of situations as well. Yeah. So even given all of those things, um, it seems though that art, especially as it speaks to philosophical concept, even without those foundations, maybe can still cut through. Do you do you feel that's the case? Is that, and, I do. And, and maybe why is what is it that? Yeah. 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 Again, I think it, I, I, first of all, I agree with you a hundred percent that if anything is going to cut through our distract our technologically driven distraction culture. It's it's going to, well. There's two things. One is art. Mm-hmm. One is beauty. Uh, the other, I think, is is holiness. Um, is just the the goodness of a person, the grace fueled goodness of a mm-hmm. person. Those two things, more than anything else, just cut through just about anything. Right. Um, beauty is especially uh, effective in that again because of that sensory connection. Um, it just appeals to every aspect of us. And as I always like to say, we just cannot get enough of that combination. It speaks to us as embodied, but embodied spirits. Right. Yeah. Right. Maybe no wonder why everything these days tends to draw us to keep our eyes down and yeah. maybe not notice the beauty that's around us. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, right. Well, we, you, you started to touch on, on this a little bit, um, but you've also spent a lot of time um, and we may have to go to the other side of the break on this concept, but mm-hmm. just technology, um, what is it doing? I mean, do you feel there's maybe even an intentional f- design behind uh, some of the things that maybe dehumanize, mm-hmm. uh, move us away from those, even if it's not mm-hmm. a human-based design, uh, if, if right. you catch my meaning? Right. Um, basically, what is technology doing to us, and, and how does the work you've been doing um, mm-hmm. size these things up and maybe... Right. point towards particular solutions that would be helpful. Right. The first thing I would say about technology, it's the first point that I make with my students in my philosophy of technology class here at Christendom, is that 
we have to understand technology as a historical construction. That is, the word technology doesn't apply to everything that human beings have ever made. So my toothbrush, I don't consider technology. Right. Um, I don't consider, um, I, I, I'm, I'm drinking coffee now out of, out of something made by human beings, but I don't consider it a technology. Technology is a very specific thing that occurred um, in the West, really, at a particular point in time. It's a modern phenomenon, understanding modern as the world that began in the 1600s and the 1700s. And um, it was mainly... It, mainly through the, the philosophy of thinkers such as Francis Bacon, Rene Descartes, who reconceived nature, that is the mm -hmm. natural world, not just rocks, trees, and rivers, but everything that is not human. They conceived the natural world as stuff to be manipulated mm -hmm. according to the desires of human beings, right? So... All of nature just became, you know, sheer matter to be manipulated however we may wish. Now, a lot of times, um, technologists, I think most of the time, their intentions in manipulating nature are at least in their own minds benevolent, right? right? They're trying to make the way, you know, to look at Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg. They're trying in their own minds to make the world a better place. Uh, and we can argue with them about uh, the reality of that, but that's what they think they're doing. Um, but the main thing is to understand that certain things that human beings make are not trying to supplement nature, build upon nature, learn from nature, or be stewards of nature. It's about mastering and controlling nature. Right. That's technology. That's wow. it. And that's, that's, that's a very new thing. My toothbrush doesn't quite fit that description. But a laptop does. Right. A laptop does, as does a social media platform, uh, as do um, more obviously dangerous technologies. So, yeah, that's where I think we should begin thinking about that. Sure. What I guess would you describe as maybe the key facets of this modern technology in, in terms of making it difficult for the human person to know who they are, what they're meant to do, mm -hmm. maybe raise their eyes uh, to a transcendent being yeah. and understand that. It's tough because you have to, um, you have to imagine technology now as more than just say a tool that we have. It's not just the laptop that's sitting mm -hmm. on your desk. Tech, that word technology represents an entire worldview. It's, it's analogous to, to a theology. It, sure. It's a whole way of considering reality. Um, so now we have whole generations growing up that have a difficult time seeing anything beyond that reality. Right. And of course, technology is science-driven, so it's kind of the science, science and its technology are the are the cosmos for many people mm -hmm. and there's and there's not they're not just it's not just one aspect of the cosmos it frames the cosmos it frames our reality so it's a huge challenge 
to get people to think outside that framework and to challenge technology and to think about realities that transcend the technological. That's our challenge today. Right. Yeah. Right. That's great. Great points mm-hmm. and such a deep uh, area of thought. We probably go on for, for quite a mm-hmm. long time on it. Um, I'm wondering, what would you say these days um, if you're if you're talking to a young person and you do uh, every day? How did they start to recapture um, mm-hmm. a bit of their own humanity? Right. Take some time to slow down. Mm-hmm. Take some things in. Where would you even begin? Not every student can be a student at Christendom College where you've got some some leisure time to do these right. things. Right. I'm glad for that question, and I'm glad you asked it after our conversation about practices, because um, I think practices are play a key role in helping us uh, recapture the human in our technological mm-hmm. environment. So let me explain. I'm drawing here, especially not on the work of Alistair McIntyre here, but another writer, a fellow named Matthew Crawford, mm-hmm. who wrote a wonderful book back in 20... 15 or 17 called The World Beyond Your Head. And I'm using that as a text in my course. I'm reading it with my class even now. Crawford critiques technology in the way that we've been doing in this conversation, but he also offers a positive alternative. And the core of his alternative is to engage in practices. And he notes that whenever we, you'll notice that whenever we engage in a practice, We're engaging in one right now. We'll call this philosophy. Whenever you engage in a practice, the mind slows down. You are at least being asked to focus. um, And you are putting yourself within a tradition that is meant to enable you to think and to create beyond sort of our merely sensory being, right? Right. So even, or or take another example, just like um, he uses an example, just learning a language, the discipline of learning a language. um, That takes you out of yourself, out of your fractured attention, and sort of compels you to enter into a world, a practice beyond your head. Mm. And that's what is getting so difficult for young people especially, everything about technology is forcing them more and more to live in their heads. Right, right. And to live with what Crawford calls representations or images in their head. I, I don't know if you've seen what Mark Zuckerberg has re- recently done with Facebook. And meta, this is meta. Yeah. The all-encompassing, I guess. Yeah, is the, the yeah, all-encompassing. Yeah, right. notice, notice the phrase. Yeah. I played some of his promotional video f- for meta to my class the other day. And, and as far as I understand it, it's basically a virtual reality headset mm. and you enter into all of the socially networked activity. Um, but notice notice what that's doing. It's I mean, just to put on the headset is to kind of cut yourself off from the world beyond your head right. and to uh, lull you into a kind of amusing complacency in imagery in your mind. Wow. That has become the new reality. Yeah. And so the challenge is is to put aside the virtual reality headset and to be engaged in activities that force you out of your head and practices 
do that well. And and there are a lot of things that are, I mean, there's religious practice, uh, both, most of all. There's the, pra- all the liberal arts are practices. But even something like the, the simplest craft, knitting or mm-hmm. crochet, is a practice that, or learning a language that draws you out of yourself. That's what's so essential. Well, this is great. I want you to hold that thought. We're going to come back to some of these concepts right after the break. We need to take uh, just a quick break for some messages, and we'll be back with Dr. Dan McInerney on Christendom Conversations. As Catholics today, we are facing a culture that seeks to sweep away the roots and reasons for our faith. All of us need help upholding our Catholic beliefs. That's why each week, Christendom College President Dr. Timothy O'Donnell opens the riches of Catholic education to all Catholics in his free Principles video series. You can join Dr. O'Donnell for five minutes each week and learn from the best thinkers, hear amazing stories from history, and get spiritual tips to strengthen your Catholic faith. Sign up today at principlesforyourweek.com. That's principlesforyourweek.com. And welcome back to Christendom Conversations, where we offer time-tested insights to help you live your Catholic life to the fullest. I'm Mark Rolina, here with Dr. Daniel McInerney, Associate Professor of Philosophy at Christendom College. So it's a, it's a great insight, this, this idea of living inside your head, um, and you also have that sense of maybe self-filtering your reality, um, mm-hmm. and, and they, these practices drawing young people out. It doesn't seem like it would take much maybe to, to start to make apparent the, the difference in, I mean, I think there's some great uh, philosophers and theologians who talk about that, um, you know, even Plato in the Allegory mm-hmm. of the Cave. Just yeah. uh, right. what have you seen among, among young people who have started to go down this path a little more intentionally? They really respond to it. I, I did an exercise in class when I first introduced that set of ideas I was just talking about before I even explained them at all. I came into class one day and I said, we are going to do scenes from Shakespeare today. And I was drawing on my old uh, practice of uh, directing Shakespeare uh, on the high school level. And so I had scripts for them. I had like three different scripts. I broke them into small groups and they had a few minutes to prepare their scenes and Mm -hmm. we rehearsed and then they performed. They had no idea why I was asking them to do this in a philosophy class. And then after that, but after that, then I began to unpack the importance of a practice and the world beyond your head. But what struck me was how much fun they were having. I mean, there was, there was, and I told them this, I said, it's just the energy in the room when you were doing that exercise was fantastic. The laughter, the way, I mean, some were were shy, but for the most part, they threw themselves into it. That's the power of a practice. And that, I think, that magical power is more powerful than technology. But it can only, it can only um, work its magic if if a person is is invited to enter into it mm-hmm. and nowadays it's harder for a young person especially to just sort of stumble into a practice it happens mm-hmm. but but it's it's more today you have to get them out of their head and sort of encourage them goad them kick them into the practice mm-hmm. and then the magic of it can begin to work and it's not foolproof then either but that's 
that's a, a fantastic opportunity. Yeah, no, that's really great stuff. And again, we could several shows on this perhaps, and maybe in the future we can get back to it. Um, it's really hard though. I mean, I, I remember this one commercial um, that's not too too long ago, where you know it was definitely a technology or a, you know. Uh, uh, internet company of some kind talking about the sound of success. It was just sort of crickets yeah. and the sound of four family members oh, using, yeah. their, using their screens or something. Right, 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 so right. in the family, um, if, yeah. if this is your formative uh, experience, what, what, what can parents do to, to try to break out of what's almost sort of being yeah. um, pushed subconsciously on them? Sure. Um, I have some thoughts, all of which I executed imperfectly as a parent, let it be known. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I would, um, I would certainly not give a child a cell phone, a smartphone, um, uh, at very least until very late in high school, if then. Okay. Um, it's just a pathway into danger, to put it mildly. Um, I, would, I would encourage any human being, not just teenagers, um, not to do social media. Right. I'm sort of a prophet for, for, for being unsocial when it comes to social media. I just don't think the advantages uh, outweigh the disadvantages, uh, at least for personal use of it. I, I don't, talk, I mean, we, we began talking about kind of how technology can sort of lure us away from what is truly human. I think we all have a sense that the quote-unquote friendships we pursue online are not as rich right. as the offline experience. Even to call it an offline experience is a technological phrase. Um, but we we don't always pull the trigger. And I did social media for many years until I, I finally just said, this is, this is really not, it's not delivering what it claims to deliver, and it's really wasting my time. So I encourage all my students, I don't know if even one of them has taken me up on it, but I encourage them all to, to get off social media. I think that's the big time suck of, of, uh, of our culture. <laughs> yeah, that's really well put. Something to think about, especially mm -hmm. as we're you know make it to to holiday season or uh, a birthday coming along. Um, yes, we, right. We decide between technology and maybe maybe a different path, especially right. for the young people. Um, just a, a quick word: we're, we're almost out of time here. Um, you yourself are a playwright mm -hmm. um, and had, have won some awards uh, in, in the past for, for that. What what about that experience? I'd love to spend another time talking mm -hmm. about about you know, the specifics of, of what you came up with, but. Um, what about that experience um, do you enjoy and, and do you still stay connected in that, in that way? I do. I, I write fiction probably even more than I write drama okay. uh, these days, but I love drama. But in, in both activities, it's, um, it goes back to your first question that the hybrid of the artistic and the philosophical together really excites me. Mm -hmm. And so the opportunity to do that oneself, that is to create a character and to have a character pursue a goal and engage in conflict, but have it all mean something, right? To have some truth that you're trying to communicate through all that and to do it in a way that's not just ham-fisted and on the nose and, mm -hmm. and boring. Um, that to me is a very exciting challenge. Uh, and it's one that I, 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 I just immensely enjoy trying to, to get good at. Right. So those practices I love. Wonderful. 
Well, sadly, we are out of time. Dr. McInerney, this has really been wonderful. Oh, it's been wonderful for me. Thank you, Mark. Hopefully you'll join us again sometime uh, before too long. Well, our show is at an end for today. We want to thank everyone who has tuned in. If you have any questions or comments about today's program, you can email us at radio at christendom.edu. For more information about how Christendom College is helping its students learn the truth, live the faith, and thrive, please visit our website at christendom.edu. We hope you'll join us again very soon as we continue to point towards some of the rich treasures that our faith and the liberal education can offer. In these times, it has become difficult to remain hope-filled. Our lives, weighed down by many things beyond our control and reach, can often feel like too much to handle. But Scripture and the saints keep drawing us back to gratitude as an antidote to these feelings of powerlessness and temptations to despair. St. Paul writes, Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we feel anxiety begin to rise or the challenges we face seem too large for us, the time is right to take stock of our blessings, the true, the good, and the beautiful blessings in our families, in our material well-being, and in, the spirit, in our spiritual lives, and to give thanks. We will then be able to say with confidence that God's grace and His abundant gifts are there for us to see, even in the midst of trial. Have a great day, and may God bless you.